On today's episode of Hungry for Wisdom, we are rejoined by the great Chris Nolte. What's the difference between a cuss word and a statement of fact? And as you look for wisdom, turn over the rocks that God just dropped on your toes. It's episode 11. Turn it up! Welcome to Hungry for Wisdom. This is the podcast for people who want to know what God knows. He hasn't told us everything, but man, he has told us a lot. I'm Dustin, pastor of Grace and Truth. If you want to know what God knows, let's dig in. You guys know Chris. He was on an episode last season. Chris Hello. is the owner, operator, director, and uh, grand wizard at Romeo Surf. <laughs> How you doing, buddy? It's all me. There, there is no others, but we're looking. Wait, we're looking. grand wizard is bad. That's a bad term. Isn't that the, the yeah, leader of the KKK? Me. It's Grand Dragon, I think. Isn't <laughs> I don't it? Know. I don't know. I don't really have any context or to yeah. call up and ask. <laughs> I don't know anybody in there. Okay. Well, today's episode is dedicated to somebody, Chris, that actually you uh, introduced me to, Thistle yeah. Farms. Tell yeah. us something about these guys. So Thistle Farms was started uh, years ago, like 25 years ago, by Becca Stevens. And she's a survivor of uh, abuse. And and she she had a heart for this and reaches out. And this it, over the last 25 years builds up this incredible organization that's helping helping women survivors and women out of poverty by giving them jobs getting them into the workforce even housing them doing doing all kinds of things to help this group this uh, help empower these women and, and get them off the ground our our local gross grace kitchen is modeled after them um, we're using a lot of in, in fact we're in touch with them and we're using a lot of their systems to help do the same thing here in the Tri-Cities. We're actually bringing Becca Stevens in in October to speak at the Grace Gala. So we're going to get a you know hands-on conversation with her about Great. what they're doing. Yeah, it's, it's fantastic. I'm meeting so, up with uh, with Grace Kitchen with, with Devin and the folks down there, there on uh, Wednesday. There you go. You can, then we need to pick her brain, uh, Amanda's brain about this, because this is the model for what we're doing here locally. Uh, they're doing, just doing amazing things, and we're going to... Try and do the same thing here. Thistle Farms. Love Thistle it. And hey, Farms. while I'm at it, um, just in case this is the first time that somebody's listening to Hungry for Wisdom, uh, give them a shout out for uh, Romeo Surf also. Tell us what you do and where to find you. Romeo Surf is a, I would call it at this point, an entry level marketing agency. So we, we're, we're, we're not staffed or prepared to take on a Fortune 500 company. We're going to help the small guy. We're going to get him started or her started in their business, uh, logos, advertising, light marketing duties, uh, get them growing, and then at some point, you know, launch them into the world. And then, and, you know, hopefully they grow to the point where we, they would need a bigger organization. But we're, we're trying to stay small. We're, uh, we're, we are small and uh, helping a few clients here and there. Cool. That sounds great, man. You guys do great work. And we always, uh, I, I love, I love giving you a call to say, Hey, Chris, I need this or, you know, <laughs> graphic design or website stuff or whatever, because it's, it's just always spot on. So yeah, thanks. appreciate what you do, man. Let's get into some Proverbs. Here we go. Proverbs three is where we find ourselves today. Verses 13 through 15. And it reads thusly, how blessed is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding for her profit is better than the profit of silver, and her gain is better than fine gold. She is more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire compares with her. Let me start by reviewing verse 13. It goes like this. How blessed is the man who finds wisdom and the man who gains understanding. All right, now, maybe it's just me. Maybe I'm reading my personality into this thing, but I think Solomon has a bit of a sense of humor because my first question here is, what is he talking about when he says the man who finds wisdom? He just put it right in front of the dude in black and white. He's like, here, read this scroll. Hey, good job finding wisdom, little man. Way to go. Here's a pat on the back and a cookie. He didn't find Jack, man. It was handed to him. And such is life, though, right? This is the way it works in the Bible. This is the way it works in a relationship with God. This is the way the gospel works, right? God gives us things, or in the world, maybe our parents give us things, our mentors give us things, whatever. And then in the end, if we end up not totally screwing it up, then we're seen as a success in life. Or we're seen as wise or whatever. Like, isn't, you know, I mean, gospel, you know, I didn't, I didn't forgive my own sins. I didn't die for my own sins. And yet, by attaching myself to the guy who did and not stiff arming him in the face and simply saying, I need you, Jesus, then I am saved on his account as if his works were done by me. Gospel. And so Solomon says, we benefit 
more than we deserve to. And this is true from Christ and his forgiveness. This is also just true in basic wisdom. He pats us on the back for saying good job, but we didn't really find it. So it's all of grace. It's all a gift. God gives us wisdom, and our responsibility is to accept it. So we deserve death. We get blessings from God. We deserve to live in our foolishness. We get wisdom from God through Solomon and various other biblical authors. How blessed is the man who finds what God shoved right in his face. It's not a bad way to live, you know? <laughs> it just goes to show you, though, it's not a result of works lest any man should boast, right? I mean, 1 Corinthians 4, it says, what do you have that you have not received? Paul almost just challenges you. Like, hey, think of something. Think of something you gave yourself. Well, underneath that, there's something that you were given, like a heartbeat or a pulse or something, right? And so we have received information, and it is able to make us wise to salvation. Paul tells Timothy this in 2 Timothy. He says, hey, those Old Testament scriptures, they can lead you towards Christ, Galatians 3.24 also. So it's real wisdom that we've been given from God himself, and we're supposed to just accept it. Now, verse 14 and 15 is the reason why you should do that. Her prophet, so her, the she is wisdom here, her profit is better than the profit of silver. Her gain is better than fine gold. She is more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire compares with her. And so this should be obvious to us, but it's not because we're sinful people and our brains are suffering under the effects of the fall, but really this is common sense. Think about it. God, who made everything and knows every detail about how it works, just told us how to navigate it effectively. So if he shares that information with us, I would say that would be pretty valuable, right? In fact, of all the things and the people that you want to get around or get near, the things you want to accumulate for yourself, everything that you're trying to do to fulfill, um, everything that you're trying to fulfill with money, I'll put it that way, could be fulfilled better with the proper application of wisdom. The only thing that wisdom can't get you is, in some cases, it can't get you stuff, right? But God says that isn't that valuable anyway. It's going to burn. So I'll give you an example. Think about relationships. And, and not like casual relationships. I mean like deep, meaningful, quality relationships. Money can't get you that. Even the Beatles know that, right? Can't buy me love or whatever they said. So money can get you a lot of types of friendships. But when you navigate life alongside people, that gets you a brotherhood that you really honestly can't buy. And so I would suggest to you that the one thing that can get you further in the world than money is relationships. That's just something that personally I've observed over time, which means that the wisdom that allows you to live in that way is quite literally more valuable than money. This isn't some ethereal concept that he's throwing down here. This is boots on the ground stuff. Wisdom is more important than money. And so take it from me. Like I'm, I'm living this way. Now I'm, I'm not saying I've, that I've got a ton of wisdom, but like, I'm a pastor, okay? So I don't have a lot of money. and I'm never going to have a lot of money. I just made a decision in life not to fight God anymore, and money's not the most important thing. And so what I do have is relationships. I got a lot of relationships, good ones, foxhole buddies that I'll lock arms and go into war with. And I've got these relationships all around the world. I mean, hundreds of them, maybe a thousand of them. I don't know. And so now I'm in a situation where I don't have those relationships because I have all of the wisdom in the world, but I'm living, however imperfectly, in the fear of the Lord and walking his paths. And guess where that leads me? It leads me to stuff that once I experience it, I would never trade for money. So that's a small example, but the more wisdom you gain over life, the more true this passage is going to be. So chase wisdom because it's better than dollars. And that's why uh, we put on a podcast called Hungry for Wisdom. So with that then... We're going to move along to some this isn't that's. And for this isn't that's today, we've got some Q&As for, um, well, I guess just for me. I was going to say me and yeah, Pastor no, Ben. I'm, I'm going to spit the questions. You're going to help me out. But you know what? It's curious on that. Wisdom is a she. Yeah. Wisdom is a girl. A- In the book of Proverbs, and she's often referred to as um, uh, like a, a motherly figure. Yeah. So you, we are the children of Mama Wisdom. Yeah. So your first car, was it a girl? I, I never referred to my first car in the feminine yeah. because it was a truck, and that was just weird. Gotcha. Was well, we, we named ships. You know, it's true. Ships. What, what is what is the tie in there? Why are we doing that? Is it does it date back to this kind of stuff? No, I don't think so. I think in that case, it's because the guys that are navigating the ships are <laughs> gone from their wives all the time, yeah. and yeah. they have to rationalize picking yeah. a boat over their it's wife. Quite common though. We're, yeah. Everything's she. Well, it's she, tradition. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's interesting, including wisdom. All right. E- except the generic. Like if huh. if you say, "Oh, there's a person over there. I don't know what he was doing." You don't know if it was a guy or a girl, but you yeah, assume you the master. That it seems that way. Don't in in every language, by the way. No kidding. Yeah, every language I've ever interacted with, you default to the masculine. Huh? Curious. Yeah. Very curious. 
Except when we name something that we like, that we cherish, then it's feminine. Yeah, I think that's it. Hmm. Um, I got some good ones for you. Oh, boy. Yeah, but do you want to address the uh, elephant in the room? My mustache? (laughs) You know, I was trying not to because you said your wife didn't like it. Now, for you people listening in, you can't see it, but it's fantastic. Fantastic mustache. My wife hates it. Hates my mustache. Can you believe that? You hate it too, don't you? I'm going to tell you something. I... (laughs) I've had to evolve on the Look issue of the mustache. Look I, at I, it. I can't. I can't, <laughs> I can't. I can't gaze at the glory, Chris. No, like the, when the mustache first came back, because it's kind of, I don't know, like like black guys, Mexican guys, they can pull off a mustache that looks perfectly yeah, natural. Yeah. Natural. But when white guys do it, it's either a callback to the 70s and 80s or... It's just creepy, right? And so about... Or both. Uh, what would you... <laughs> <laughs> it's, this is my Don Mattingly Magnum P.I., you know... You're not even close. close. Really? No. Yeah, that's... Magnum P.I., dude, that's a high bar. That's true. That's true. But like six that's or seven years ago, the, the mustache starts coming back, and it was it was like an ironic <laughs> thing. You know, it was it was the Portlanders and stuff like that. And I was just like, guys, stop it. You look ridiculous. Like, unless you drive a white van with no windows, it doesn't fit. And that's what now, I'm hearing right now. Yeah. yeah. There were there was the rare guy, like my father, by the way, who could pull off a mustache and have it look natural, but it's, it's I mean, few and far between. Huh. But then over the last, like, year, I've realized this is not a fad anymore. It's actually coming back. So I've had to just learn to be okay with yeah, it. Yeah, I appreciate that. So just keep it off of the microphone. I don't want to hear it rub. Yeah. It'll ruin the episode. <laughs> it, my wife is not going to let me have it much longer. So no. <laughs> she just can't stand it. But as long as I can. That's why I didn't mention it. Because by the time this episode drops, everybody's going to come and see you at church and be like, dude, where's the, where's the mustache? <laughs> All right. Fleeting. So we got a couple written in and a couple I brought in myself. Um, Any order you want. I'm going to save this one for last. It's a doozy. It might get you fired up. So we're going to start with this one. Have you changed your theology on any issues or doctrines recently? And I'm going to open them. Recently does not have to be. I'd go back years, years. I mean, we talked about Like in my adult life? Yeah. Anything changed for you where you come to a realization that, man, I was just wrong on that? So, yeah, if I'm hearing you right, you're specifically asking, like, do pastors change their mind? Right, because we got to be pretty sure when we get up and say stuff. I got to speak with some conviction on a Sunday, right? So, are you asking me this just buddy to buddy, or is this like, hey, oh. as a pastor, what what does what does this look like? Yeah, I'm coming in the room, buddy to buddy. But I months back, you you had addressed something on on stage as pastor that you got it wrong on some scripture, and it wasn't anything deeper, you know, terribly important. But you you just addressed it, you fixed it, and I really liked that that you could stand in front of the group and say, hey, I missed this. Um, it's not like we think you're perfect in any measure. Yeah. It's that you're you're out front and you're honest, and you, you could have passed by that. Nobody would have been any wiser. But you wanted to make sure we understood that I was wrong there, and you and you fixed it. You addressed it. Don't make the same error. Right, yeah. right. And so I thought, man, I wonder if there's any because there has been for with me. I've evolved in the last sure. 10, 20, Well, in, incredible. I'm not the same guy. I'm born again by great measure because the guy I look back on his beliefs and his. And his undertakings and the way he took he addressed even addressed people. Oh, I don't like that guy. So I've I've changed a lot. And then even theologically, what I believe this that and the other thing, those have changed and, and evolved. To I, and I think they will again in in next twenty thirty years. I'm going to see this a little bit differently. I'm going to see that a little bit differently. Especially in in the world I'm in with with drugs and abuse that I'm helping these organizations help people with. Boy, I've softened on that a lot. Wow. Yes, we need to get off drugs. But if you understand that why these drugs can be taken, oh, okay, that makes things a little bit better. So my approach has totally changed on that. Yeah. So that, that's kind of where I'm coming from on this is what's changed for you? Not just I, I read that scripture wrong. Your stance on stuff. Yeah. Yeah, so... I'll start with like the something something I just believe on a theoretical level as far as like how to approach um, my own beliefs because I mean Paul is really clear he he well okay so Paul tells Timothy watch your life and your doctrine closely so we're supposed to evaluate our own beliefs and be mm-hmm. ready to suspect them um, so the way I see it is Scripture doesn't change but our theology which is how we understand Scripture that should change and grow because our capacity to understand things grows as we gain wisdom. Um, God teaches us things over time. He doesn't download it all at once. Now, if our beliefs are based on the Bible, they shouldn't change quickly or easily, okay? Um, Because we should have drawn our beliefs from Scripture that's not changing. However, we should be able to to change them over time. So I, 
I have not had any major, like to deal with the doctrinal part first, I, I haven't had any major doctrinal revolutions since I became a pastor here. Um, when I was a music pastor, I had quite a few of them because I was, I was taking everything I was raised with and I was raised in a very distinct doctrinal camp. And I was like, yeah, okay, I don't, I don't know that, that that's the best explanation of this doctrine or whatever. So I had some, some, I had to question some of my assumptions about doctrines I thought were fixed. You know, things like, you know, the, the, there's nuances to this doctrine of election, right? And we've talked about that on the podcast before. There's nuances to this doctrine of spiritual gifts and cessationism and things like that. And so being willing to consider some of that stuff. Um, what was the other one? Well, I mean, eschatology always. I mean, I've, I've changed my end times view. <laughs> Back and forth. Yeah, honestly. And I'll, I'll probably change it again because I'm sure, sure I'm sure, wrong sure. about stuff. I just, you know, it's like... Like my, my view right now, I've got a specific set of questions that I can't answer. And these are problems for my view. And I'm just at this point, I'm like, I'd rather have that set of problems than those sets of problems over there. So that's kind of how I'm picking my eschatology view mm-hmm, right mm-hmm, now. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I haven't, my, my doctrine has, has, I would say, um, expanded and deepened since I've been here, but no, no major turnovers that I can think of. Um, we'll push back to Kennewick then. Yeah. What was changing back then? Well, I'll give you an example. So we were we were told I, I was raised as a cessationist. So the the sign gifts we called them the the spiritual gifts that um, that God reveals things through. So we're talking about tongues. We're talking about prophecy. You know things like that. Um, they we, we said those things have ceased because First Corinthians thirteen says you know when when that which is perfect comes these things will cease. Okay, and so. It was like, see, the Bible, it's the perfect word of God, and it's here, and it's completed. I see. So we don't need these re- these extra revelations anymore. No extra biblical information. And I was in my office one day as a music pastor, just reading my Bible. This had nothing to do with my ministry at all. I'm just reading through 1 Corinthians, and I saw chapter 13, and it said, you know, for now we know in part, but then we will know in full. And now we see through a glass dimly. Or, yeah, so we see through a glass dimly. But then we will know full. I will know fully even as I am fully known. And so when the perfect comes, that will be the situation. These gifts are going to cease, and I will know fully even as I am fully known. And I was like, wait a second. Do I know God as well as he knows me? Uh, I don't think I can make that claim. And if even Paul, who was practicing these gifts, said that he saw through a glass dimly, but there is coming a day when these gifts will go away, and he will know fully, he was claiming not to be there yet. I seem to be more in the same situation that Paul was in Mm -hmm. than in the situation he was describing. Mm -hmm. And so I went back and reread that. And then a bunch of other passages that come into that. And I'm like, I don't think the perfect has come yet. I don't think this was talking about the completed word of God. I think it's talking about the second coming of Christ. I think the perfect is an event rather than an, uh, uh, an item. Yeah. Right. So yeah, that that was a pretty big change because in my mind, it, it was like, I had it in my head and I don't know if this is because this is what my pastors said, or if this is just what I came away with. But in my head, either the gifts have ceased or you're a psycho Pentecostal, like rolling on the ground, barking like a dog nut job. And those were the only two categories I had. And I was like, well, maybe I just created a third one. <laughs> I scared my wife to death, boy. I was like, she was like, what's happening to my husband? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Pivoting on that. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. She thought I was going all, uh, you know, sloppy agape on her or something. Yeah. And, and Well, you didn't run into the house speaking tongues. You don't know that. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, no, I didn't. You do that. introduced that to her, and she's like, she didn't warm up to it right away. Or no, just, no, because that's a big change. Yeah, that was yeah. that was a major part of our belief. And what happened was, I was sitting at the dinner table, and I was just staring off into space oh, with wow. all this going. And she was like, "Hello, like <laughs> you know, the kids are here. Can you tune in?" And she was like, "What? What's got a hold of you anyway?" And so I dropped it on her, and I should not have done that because I was, <laughs> I was, I, I was processing from A to Z on this issue. I was at like Q. Yeah. And I just dropped point Q on her, and she she didn't have A yeah, through Q, yeah, and she's like ah! all the time. So yeah, I, I was Terrible. not very compassionate. I, I didn't pastor my wife well on that one. So yeah, there, there's been stuff like that that's happened. Um, outside of the the doctrinal side of things, just my view on stuff. Um, I think a lot of what you said of like people's people's sins are often the symptom of something, right? And so actually, this is something my wife taught me was, um, it was, I was brand new out here and I mean, within the first six months or so, and there was this situation going on where this guy was making a mess of his life and he would not repent of his sin. He just wouldn't do it. Born again, believer, just acting like a total knucklehead. And I'm all frustrated and I was like, Rah! and so I get home and she's like, Hey, how was your day? And I'm like, because I live, I live close to the church, so I don't really have time to mentally transition yeah, before yeah, I get home. Yeah. Right? So I, I get home and I'm just like, Rah! 
and I'm, I'm still kind of processing all of this. And I just, I can't get this guy to just move, you know? And so I'm telling her about it. And she says, uh, she didn't even know who, who it was. I was just telling her about the situation generically. And she says, you know what your problem is? And I was like, whoa, whoa, what? Like, <laughs> There's just one? Yeah. Like this just took a nasty left turn. I'm talking about somebody else's problems. Yeah. And she says to me, the problem is you hate sin more than you love people. Oh. And I was like, that hits home. I'm just going to go into the next room now. I'm, <laughs> I'm think about that. And she was right. So I was seeing a sin and I wanted to rage against the sin, but I could win the argument with that guy and yeah. lose the person. But that sin was showing a, a deficit in, in his heart that I could address, you know, instead. And it's yeah. like, that would have been a better choice. Right. And so when you talk about addictions or something, I've come across a lot of people that they're, yeah, they're drug addicts. And the reason is because they were, uh, you know, they got their leg blown off in Iraq and then they get back and they get hooked on these pills and then kicked out of the hospital and like, okay, your treatment's done. And they're still on these opiates. They can't quit cold Turkey. And so then they wind up on, on meth or whatever. And it's, it's like, you know, were, were decisions made that were wrong on their end on the way there? Maybe, but I don't have access to any of that information and they need compassion, yeah. you know? So seeing sin, the, the, the sins that we observe, seeing those as a symptom of either something that was done to this person in the case where they're victims or a deeper sin that they actually need to repent of. And I could address the symptom and never address the cause at all. Yeah. And so just learning to dig down and not be, not, not react to the, um, I'll put it this way. I don't know if this is going to make sense. We, it, our time is better spent reacting to sinfulness than it is to individual sins. A lot of times. Yeah. Right. That yeah, makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Don't chase every rabbit basically. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you gave me one. You got another one on the top of your head? I'm moving on to the next question. Changes I've made. I, yeah. Well, no. I'll just, I'll just tell you that every time... This is, this is designed to be helpful for, for our listeners. Every time I have another good conversation with somebody, there's a good chance that I'm going to question something that I've held to. And so relationships within the church... And like the universal church sure. are one of the best mechanisms for growth that I've ever yeah. seen because you interact with, with other people's perspectives. They knock the rough edges off of your own sure. assumptions. There's some iron so, sharpening and iron there. Yeah, exactly. So I'll probably be making little changes or big yeah. ones for the rest of my life. And that's a good thing. Yeah, good, good. Well, we want to hear about the big ones. Question two. Uh, there was an episode where you called, I, I would say rightfully so, Planned Parenthood uh, rat bastards. Uh, specifically, genocidal rat bastards. Oh, well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, not a huge deal, but it does have me thinking: uh, Christians and swearing. Mm-hmm. Uh, is is it is it okay? Is it is there a time when it's okay? Should I defend that? Well, I, I will say this: uh, using the term "bastard" in a in a uh, conversation about babies being born out of wedlock was probably not the the best foresight <laughs> on yeah. my end. Yeah, in hindsight, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, twenty twenty and all that. But uh, no, I. The, the issue of, of harsh language and foul language and stuff like that is really interesting if you read it from the Bible. So what I'm not going to do here is justify the use of, of uh, cuss words, okay? Um, I'll give you some examples of it in the Bible, but I'm, I'm not going to justify it and say, no, it's, it's fine, let it fly. Because Paul's really clear, you know, I think it's in Ephesians 5, I'm, I'm blanking on it, but um, he says, you know, do not let an unwholesome thing cross your lips, right? Don't, don't let it come out of your mouth. Okay, so that's one thing. Let your, um, you know, let your uh, speech be seasoned with salt and, um, uh, you know, various other things that, that we're told, like do away with coarse jesting and that kind of thing. So we're told to clean up our language in the Bible. Um, then you read these places where the Old Testament prophets, like Ezekiel, I mean, Ezekiel 16 is full of some of the most foul subject matter and language um, Okay, so uh, uh, content alert. I didn't do that at the beginning of the, the episode because I didn't know we were going here. But, um, well, I didn't know I was going to go into this explanation. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, so I'm, I'm going to get into some not kid-friendly stuff here. Ezekiel 16, he, he talks about um, basically a young lady who has hit puberty and is ready to, like, is biologically ready to engage in sexual activity, and he talks about the details of her anatomy, okay? And he does this as an insult to Israel, and he says, that's what you were like, and you were in your shame, and I came and covered you up, and he goes into graphic detail there. And then he says, you went after the, uh, was it the Moabites? Some some pagan group, and he says, uh, they're, they're uh, 
their loins were like those of donkeys. Or he says their members were like those of donkeys. So he's saying these guys are well hung, you know? Mm-hmm. And you went after him because you you like that about him. And so he was calling him a bunch of whores. There's a place in Jeremiah 4, I believe it is, that drops the Hebrew equivalent of what we would call an F-bomb, where he says, you know, on again, he's calling his people whores because they've committed spiritual prostitution with all of the gods on the high places. They would have these pagan, um, uh, you know, uh, shrines and they would commit um, like sexual acts of worship up there and they were on the hills, right? The high places belong to the gods and so on. So he said, on which of the high places have you not lain down? Mm-hmm. Well, literally in Hebrew, it's basically like, on which of the high places have you not let yourself be? And then I'm not even going to say the right. word that we would be supplying there. And so Jeremiah goes there, you know? So there's there's a sense in which words are, I'll, I'll explain it this way. Um, when When you're in a battle for, ideas, which the gospel is a truth claim, right? When you're in a battle for ideas, you have to use the, the, the weapons for the war. And when God's confronting certain types of evil, he uses language that is appropriately grotesque. So what, where I'm going with this is there's a time to speak harshly. Okay. Um, cursing itself. I mean, there, there's different kinds of foul language, right? Like cussing is not the same as cursing. A curse would be, you know, God damn you, you know, for this and that and the other thing. I'm, I'm wishing a curse on somebody. I don't really know a place where the Bible says that's a good idea. Can't think of one off the top of my head. Um, but, uh, you know, then there's just, just cussing. I mean, just swearing of, sure. you know, oh, I swear to God. And then, yeah, yeah. And then there's the sailor language stuff. Yeah. So there's all, you know, different categories for all this stuff. You can find examples of it in sure. the Bible. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to back off of, uh, you know, what I said about Planned Parenthood because they're slaughtering my babies. Yeah. You know, like, no. So, yeah, I'll go ahead and stick by that one. For me, it's often anger. Mm-hmm. You know, I, can, I can control my tongue pretty well. I get hot with my kids when mm. something might fly. You know, it's just I got to, boy, clean that up. You know, get get control of that. That's we did I'm create doing. a category in my house for, um, uh, like, <laughs> we call them, they're not bad words, but they're grown-up words, right? Oh, so, my kids. Wow. That's, that's what I did there. And I hope my kids aren't listening to this. What I did there was I carved out a, a, a lane <laughs> for my own hypocrisy <laughs> yeah, yeah. where, you know, yeah, I get it. <laughs> yeah, the kids are like, you know, oh crap, and I'm like, don't say that. They're like, you do. I'm yeah. like, yeah. Well, you're seven. You know, <laughs> was that a bad word? No, it's a grown up word. Yeah, you don't say it. Yeah, stay in your lane. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when you pay the bills, you can drop the you can drop the crap word. Okay, good. Okay, question three. We're cruising through these. Have you canceled any streaming services? <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Not as many as I should have, apparently. Yeah. Yeah. Dude, I don't know. Like, I can't keep up with right. with the, you know, the craziness yeah. out yeah. there. So, you know, should I cancel Amazon at this point? Probably. That might be next. I don't know. I canceled Netflix with the, uh, the um, what was that show called that they put out with the, they were training like 10-year-old yeah, girls kids. to be strippers. Yeah. 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 I was like, that's, that's enough of yeah. that. And actually, it wasn't even that show. It was the fact that, like, that they defended it. Yeah, because Netflix puts stuff out so fast they can't even promote it all, and so I'm like, all right, somebody signed off on something. They should, there was some pervert over here that made a show, and Netflix released it. They should probably pull that down, right? But then they went on the attack, and like Netflix executives were like, if you disagree with this, yeah, you're you're a bigot and you're a chauvinist and you so hate women. And I'm like, all right, I'm out. <laughs> like I, I don't know what kind of pedophiles are on the board up there at Netflix that are defending this stuff, but there's a type of sickness there. I don't want to be funding anymore. Yeah. Now, what I don't have nailed down is a uh, a theology of boycotts, or I, maybe I should say a methodology of boycotts. Sure. I don't know because I understand just voting with your dollars and things like that, but at the same time, like some people get really into the boycotts and they call other people to you know, sure. and now we got to cancel our our yeah. Disney Plus account. Yeah, it's probably time to cancel Disney Plus. I, yeah, there's a certain amount of like emotional energy that I just don't have. So it's yeah. like, we'll either pay for it or we won't. I don't, yeah. I don't need to go on a crusade about everything. Yeah, and that's where I'm at. I, I, I don't have them. Um, we we still have Prime, at Amazon mm-hmm. Prime. Uh, it's live in this world, not not of this world. Or you know, yeah. that, that that's where I'm at on this stuff. We're just okay. We're not going to watch that that or that. But here's a good show we can you know absorb. You know, we can watch the chosen on Amazon. Yeah, you know, and you, you're my my technological hero by the way because you you live in a world of tech and screens. And it wasn't until like a year ago you even had a cell phone. Yeah. How did you pull that <laughs> off, dude? Well, no, you got to back up even further because I when I was 19, this was back when the brick phones. 
Remember yeah, those? yeah. So when I was nineteen, the Zach Morris phones. Yes, I uh, I got a job installing cell phones in vehicles for Cellular One in Walla Walla. Okay, and uh, it was it was it was unbelievable. It was the coolest job in the world because I you know there was there was a thousand dollar phone and it was on my hip. You know, back then, a nineteen year old, I would I would go to the video store. This is. This is this is my insecurities. I would go to the get a VHS store, and I would ask my my brother in law, "Hey, will you call me in about I don't know half hour <laughs> so that I could take a call while in the what a knucklehead was it like that, a dollar a minute back then? Well, I didn't have to pay, right? It was oh, that's a company true. phone, yeah. right? Nice. So yeah, it was it was it was terrible. Um, anyway, so long story short, I've had one since I was nineteen. Whew. I don't know until until I did the stay at home dad thing and we had to cut some costs, so. Mm-hmm. Uh, 10, 15 years, and, and I was sick of them, you know, you, you just being having that leash. And so we had to cut costs in order to pull off the one one parent at home thing, and, yeah. and Jesse was going to go back to work. And so, well, we cut the cable TV, we cut the cell phones, we cut all these things out, and okay, the numbers work, and, and I stayed at home for a couple of years. Side note, that was the hardest job <laughs> in the world. And there's guys out there that do it, and, I'm, and, and I don't want to bash them, but, boy, it's really a woman's role. See, they're, they're better fit for it. They're, they're amazing at it. The fact that they can survive it oh, at, at the percentages it that they do. Away. Like, guys yeah. can't do that. Which, by the way, I, you, you just opened up a flurry of questions I'm going to get for sure. a future episode of the podcast yeah, about stay well, at I, I have. I did it for two years. So I, I got experience here. Um, nobody can do it like my wife. I mean, nobody. I mean, and, and I come home and she's drained and wasted and tired and and then she gets up and does it all over again. I mean, just pours out to those kids. Now the kids were safe under my wings for a couple of years. You know that there, there was no. We went to the park. We did those things. But did they get nurtured like my wife? Not even close. Not mm. even close. You know, they were they were nurtured. We taught we taught the planets to Lincoln and we did some fun things. Yeah. But, uh, it wasn't even close. It's paled, paled in comparison. Something about it, right? Yeah, and maybe yeah. that's me. Maybe there's dads out there that are rocking it. Okay, cool. I'm still going to tout women. They're, they're more amazing than we are. I had a really interesting conversation with somebody about this because they the, there were there were two things that were said and agreed upon by both sides in this conversation. One was, I've seen dads stay at home where the wife worked, and it worked well for their family. And so that was the argument. Like It, it can happen because yeah. I've seen it work well. Yeah. And the other side was, yeah, but you've never seen it work well across generations. There you go. Is there any way that this possibly that the that the the wife and mom as the primary breadwinner works well in the family structure over the long haul? And I mean, it's it's interesting to try and rack your brain for examples. Yeah. You know, it yeah. seems like God's design is pretty well pretty written awesome. in there. You know, awesome. yeah, and and with the flexibility involved. I mean, you know, dads get injured at work and sure. can't work anymore. You know, dads lose their job; they have a hard time finding one. Mom's got to sure. you know make ends meet, whatever. Yep. And and it the 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 amount of um the amount of agility within God's structure is amazing, yeah. right? Yeah. But when all the dust settles, it does seem pretty clear what needs to be happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah that, that's the goal. You can't always get there, right? Right. I would I would say that is a good goal. Interesting. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So we're going to get deeper into that whenever people write in the questions. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it wasn't Dustin. It was me. It was me. <laughs> I've been Dustin. a stay at home dad too for yeah. like yeah a day or two at a time, and then I go back to yeah. work because my wife can't <laughs> take it anymore. <laughs> All right. I got a couple more for you. One one should be a quick one, but one's gonna, we're going to get deep on uh, this one. Jonah, Jesus got a little comparison there with three days in the fish, yeah, yeah. You know, Jonah was sleeping in that boat. Right, Jesus was sleeping in a boat. Okay, when the storm came, is there it, both storms, both sleeping in boats? You see anything there? Anything that needs to be? Mm. Hey, you know what's curious about this? It just it just stuck out. We we were talking about it not too long ago, uh, after one of your services, where I was pointing out that yeah, you know, it's weird that Jonah was sleeping in a boat. Come, how do you sleep in a storm? Little, and then Jesus <laughs> did the same thing later on, and and Jonah and Jesus are often compared. As, as, those, yeah. as far as those stories go. Probably, yeah, probably for two different reasons. I'm going out on a limb here, but I would guess that Jesus was sleeping because he believed in the sovereignty of God and he knew his mission wasn't at risk. And Jonah was sleeping because he gave up on life. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't <laughs> matter like, now. I'm going to get some rest. I, well, and I've, I've done that kind of thing before where um, I've been on, on the mission field and I'm in the backseat of a car and some of the most crazy road conditions you can imagine. And I'm like, and my seatbelt doesn't work. And I'm like, I'm going to die. <laughs> Like, I'm going to die, so I'm just going to go so to sleep. So you close your eyes? Well, yeah, because it's like I'm jet-lagged, I'm tired, and I don't need to be awake for the fireball, so sure, I'm just going to go sure, to sleep. Sure, yeah, I've done okay, that before. Okay, I'll give you that. What I never did was said, you know what? Pitch me overboard and traffic will get better. <laughs> <laughs> Sacrifice myself. Yeah. Um, okay, so I 
That is such a close parallel between Jonah and Jesus that I hope I nailed this when I was preaching on Jesus being asleep in the boat. I don't remember offhand. This is hitting me as new information. And I'm just like, I, I really hope I didn't miss that. Um, yeah, so Jesus is the better Jonah. That's pr- that's a pretty well-established pattern from a whole lot of stuff that um, that he said. And when you compare their ministries and so on, you know, Jesus was obedient where Jonah wasn't. Jesus was more fruitful than Jonah was because when, when Jonah uh, went into Nineveh and preached like the worst sermon in recorded history and it resulted in a national revival, um, it was still only a temporary revival. The book of Nahum comes in later and is written against Nineveh in judgment and because the revival didn't last, it didn't transfer across generations. So, um, which Nineveh is in modern day Iraq, I believe. Um, and yeah, the society's toast. They got wiped out, right? Cause they didn't listen to Jonah. So Jesus, then he, he preaches to an immoral and godless people and the salvation that comes from that lasts for eternity. So you see all of these different parallels. Um, you know, the whole three days in the fish and three days in the grave thing, all of that. So Jesus is the better Jonah. As far as being asleep on the boat, in a storm. In a storm. A terrible storm that has grown men freaking out. And and you're asking, what, what's Jesus the significance sleeping. of the parallel? I, could, I totally get Jesus sleeping. He's, he, he, he is God. He, it's, everything's under control, you know. I get the trust in the Lord mm-hmm. completely, perfectly. I don't get Jonah. How yeah. he can sleep. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, no, it, I it's think... It's a violent storm. I think he was... Just gave up. Yeah, I mean, I think he was planning on dying yeah, anyway. I, I mean, he was, yeah. he was a prophet, right? He right. knew God. Yeah, he, sure. he knew what God was capable of and what he was going to do. Yeah. And when he tried to run from him and then he sees the storm, he's like, crap, it didn't work. <laughs> I mean, honestly, that's just despair. Yeah, yeah it's only time now. Well, yeah. I, I get the question a lot where like, you know, why does Satan still fight God if he knows he can't win? And part of the answer is, I mean, what the heck else do you do? Yeah. There's no salvation. Yeah. Well, and, and it's, it's rage. It's complete rage. Yeah. Right. It, well, and he's carving out his own little kingdom and things like that. Yeah. So he's, he's got stuff he's working on, but he knows, he, I mean, you, you watch Jesus confront the demons in like Mark nine, right? He sees, he sees the, the demons and they're like, have you come to torment us before it's the time? Satan knows where he's going. Yeah. He knows what's going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. He's just trying to kick some furniture Scorched on the way earth. out the door. Yeah. 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 Wait, what'd you say? Scorched earth, right? Oh yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah sorry. <laughs> I thought you said sword smirth. I was like, that's well, yeah. a new term. That's that sounds ultimate. very medieval. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, I would. Yeah. And so I haven't studied it. I would, I would guess that Jonah just had what Dana Carvey would call a case of the screw it's yeah. where he was just like, well, that didn't work. Yep. I'm going to lay down. Yeah. Okay. Now this one might get a little tense. That's your third warning. On yeah. This. Well, it's I've, Paul. I have no it's idea what's Paul. coming. Paul had a thorn in his side, thorn in his flesh. Ah, second right? Corinthians 12. Yeah. Right. And, and, uh, and I've heard you say it, and I think I've heard you say it. I've heard many, many pastors say it, that we think it's his eyesight, right? That I don't know. Right, but, but, but have you heard this reflected in other sermons? Is it possible. I'll, okay. There was an eyesight thing. I'm not sure it's the same thing, but yeah, sure. go ahead. And, uh, and well, okay, that's going to be a little softer on you because I thought you had said it. But if, if there's a thorn in his flesh... He, he, he would, he, if it was eyesight, he would just tell us. He would just say, "This thorn in my flesh." He would, he would let us know. This is something he, I think he's keeping close to the hip. It, it, there, it, I, I think there's probably some some sinfulness to it or something, because if it was anything, literally physical like like eyesight, I think he would share that openly. But he's talking to a congregation here of people, and he doesn't. He, he's not airing his dirty laundry. Mm-hmm. Is, is where I'm coming from on that. Do you see that that could even be possible? That he's confessing like a besetting sin? That, that there's something he, he's talked about. He does what he doesn't want to do, and he, he doesn't do what he wants to do, mm-hmm. right? So he's, he, he's a sinful man as well. But the thorn in, my fle- in the flesh thing, I've, I've heard it multiple times, that, well, we think that might be because of his eyesight, because he addresses that later in Timothy with Timothy. And, and I'm like, it's not his eyesight. He, there's something there that he just doesn't, that he's not sharing with new believers and stuff. Yeah. There's, there's something there that, that, that God hasn't taken away. You know, I've prayed the prayer, take this from me. You know, and God's going to say, you know, my grace is sufficient, you know. So I think that this is, this is something sinful that he's dealing with. Interesting. Is that fair? Because if it was anything lighter, just tell him. I'm having some difficulty with your eyesight. This sword of the thorn in my flesh. It's not. It's something that he's keeping to himself. Hmm. All right. So this being the first time I've ever heard this before. I'm, really? I'm, 
Yeah. Oh wow. Not about the eyesight, but about the you know corn and the, about the, corn maybe and maybe it was a sinful thing that he was like fighting. Um, okay, so here's here's my a gut struggle. reaction. Yeah, a struggle. You know, something he struggles with. Okay, so here's my gut reaction okay. is maybe, but that explanation would be going a bit too far. So gotcha. Gotcha. Um, I think there's some parameters in the text here and some hints. The eyesight thing, by the way, in Galatians, he's talking to, he's talking to the church in Galatia and he's yelling at him for turning away from the stuff that he brought them as far as like the gospel, right? right? right. And so he's saying, look, these super apostles that are coming in here and telling you, hey, yeah, Paul, yeah Paul was fine, but... Now, you, you know, you really need to go back to the law. Like, right. you're saved by grace, now continue by works, right? So, he, he was saying, these guys don't love you. They don't care about you. He says, me, when I came in there, you, you and I connected on such a level that you would have gouged out your own eyes, if possible, and given them to me. Now, why would he say that? That's weird. And then at the end, he says, see with what letters I write, with what large letters okay, I write with my own hand. Yeah. So, we're thinking maybe one of the problems that he was having in addition to like getting stoned to death all the time and stuff was that he had a, a very painful problem with his eyes. Yeah. He had to write in big letters and he needed, you know, eye surgery. So now that's in Galatians in second Corinthians, maybe it was the same thing. I don't know. So in verse seven, uh, chapter 12, verse seven, he says, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations for this reason to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might leave me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I would rather boast in my weakness so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses and insults and distresses and persecutions and hardships for the sake of Christ. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I think the reason I say that your your hypothesis you're throwing out there is an idea, right? Sure. The the reason I think that goes too far is because if it was a besetting sin of some sort or a, a moral deficiency of some kind, then he would not tie that to the strength of God. This would be the kind of thing that he would be telling us everywhere to repent of, everywhere to turn to uh, the the grace of Christ and the kindness of God leads us to repentance. So, like that's uh, Romans two four for example. So if like Paul's theology of how to fight sin is not ask God to take it away and he might say no. His theology of how to fight sin is Jesus already won. Now go work out the salvation that has already worked in you with fear and trembling for it is God who is at work in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So what this might be is a temptation to sin. Okay, but that would be better better way to put it. Right, right, right. But not. I don't think this could be a sin that he, is, that he has not found a way to stop doing. So, for example, like maybe, and, and he gives it a personal touch, too. This, this thing was a messenger of Satan. So there seems to have been some kind of, you know, um, like personal demonic influence. Whether that was a physical pain, like, sure. a, like a real thorn in the flesh, or whether it was like, you know, hey, every time I close my eyes at night when I'm about to go to sleep, I get assaulted with lustful and pornographic thoughts. Well, maybe it was that. You know, I don't know. Satan does that to dudes. But... um I don't think we could say that he had not found a way to conquer that sin. I'm, I'm good with that. But but would is it fair to say that he left that open? He didn't want to tell us what it was. If it was if it was something physical, he would tell us. My leg, my knees. If it was something spiritual that he struggles with, if it's lust, he, mm-hmm. I think he did a good job. I just don't think he's that we can just say it's a something physical. I don't know. Not fair. I, I don't know that because he doesn't specify, it must be personal or something that we would identify as shameful. Because remember, these guys knew him, and so they might know right. exactly what he was referring to. Yeah, good point. You know, um, he might have told them about it plenty. Or maybe it just doesn't serve his point. There's a lot yeah. of stuff that, that Paul just doesn't specify because it's not what he's getting at. I guess I want to leave it open. I want to say we don't know what it was. Well, yeah, and that's I think that's important. Actually, okay, to your point then, um, if he had specified it, then not so many people would be able to identify with it 2,000 years later. Yeah, good point. Right? How many of us have been like, man, I got a thorn in the flesh. It may be yeah. nothing like what Paul was saying, right, right. but he put verbiage to something that applies to a whole lot. Yep, yep, good. So yeah, good specifying it might have just been counterproductive. Yeah, okay, good. That, 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 that helps me a ton because I've, I've, for, well, I'm 47 now, been a lot of years I've heard that, well, we think that's his eyesight. Really? Maybe, could have been. Maybe. You know, the other, the other thing too is, what does flesh mean, right? right. Is, that, is that the, the flesh meaning... The, the natural man, or is that the flesh, the physical body? I mean, in Greek, you got soma and you got sarx. I actually don't know which one that is, but they could both be used 
relatively yeah. metaphorically, right? Okay. So yeah, maybe maybe it was Satan saying, hey, your flesh is going to win on this one. And Paul was like, hey, I got a crucified Christ that says yeah. take a hike, yeah. you know, beat it. But man, that's an exhausting fight. Yeah. Uh, okay, yeah. good. I have one more, but it's really not that important or fun. But if you want it, I can send it to you or are we timed out? Not, this is a podcast. There are no right. rules. And I'm going to give you one. Because I don't know when the next time is I'm going to be able to get you back, man. Yeah. <laughs> your business so is hopping. Fun. So much fun. All right, open your Bible up. Uh-oh. Exodus 4, mm-hmm. 24. <laughs> okay. Do you already know? Uh-huh. Go ahead. No way. You know? Go ahead. I don't, I don't know who this is. Who is he talking about? Okay. This, this is, gets a little odd for me. You said verse twenty four. I think it's twenty four. Is it where he's gonna, where God's gonna slay him? Yeah. Okay. Now it happened at the lodging place on the way that Yahweh encountered him and sought to put him to death. Who's him? Okay. <laughs> All right. So, uh, Bible study tip for everybody: context is king, <laughs> right? And I back it up. Okay. I'm, I'm I'm reading before it's you know it's Moses and we're talking about he's got to go to Pharaoh and. But we get to 24, and I'm, I don't know who he's talking about. All right, verse 18, story time, kids. Then Moses went and returned to Jethro. By the way, reading out of the uh, Legacy Standard Bible, mm. it was just put out, loving this thing. Really? So thanks to Johnny Mack and the boys down there uh, at Masters. Uh, then Moses went and returned to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, Please let me go, that I may return to my brothers who are in Egypt and see if they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. And Yahweh said to Moses in Midian, go return to Egypt for all the men who were seeking your life are dead. Verse 20. So Moses took his wife and his sons and mounted them on a donkey and returned to the land of Egypt. Moses also took the staff of God in his hand. And Yahweh said to Moses, when you go to return to Egypt, see to it that all the miraculous wonders, which I have put in your hand, that you do, uh, that you do them before Pharaoh. But as for me, I will harden his heart with strength so that uh, he will not let the people go. That's what I thought you were going to ask about gotcha. there. Okay. Then when you shall say to uh, then you shall say to Pharaoh, thus says Yahweh, Israel is my son, my firstborn. So I said to you, let my son go that he may serve me. But you have refused to let him go. Behold, I will kill your son, your firstborn. Now it happened at the lodging place on the way that Yahweh encountered him and sought to put him to death. Then Zipporah took, sorry, Zipporah, Zipporah was like a makeup company or something. All right. <laughs> Zipporah, Not the same. No, maybe she was vain and like makeup. Took a, a flint <laughs> and cut off her son's foreskin and touched his feet with it. And she said, you are indeed a bridegroom of blood to me. Right. At the lodging place on mm-hmm. the way, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. Mm-hmm. Who? The firstborn. The firstborn. I will kill your firstborn son. He says that to... Yeah, um, yeah, I, get, yeah. I get what you're saying. It just seems like... Yeah, maybe it just didn't translate well because it seems like we're talking... He met him at the lodge mm-hmm. and looked to put him to death. He's like that person that he met at the lodge. I see, I see. Well, so, yeah. Your bridegroom. I'm just double-checking yeah, here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I always said to Aaron, go meet Moses in the wilderness. For all of you listeners of the Hungry for Wisdom podcast, this is how wisdom is sought. Yeah. <laughs> you need your bumper music right now. Oh, you have it. <laughs> Whoop, wrong one. Please stand by. Here we go. Dang it, what verse was I at? Oh, there we go. Okay. Let's look all the words. Yeah. Okay, so the whole yeah. the whole issue here is the issue of the firstborns, right? So Israel is the firstborn. Pharaoh's got a firstborn. Moses has a firstborn. Zipporah wants to circumcise the firstborn, calling back to the Abraham thing where the the firstborns, well, all the sons were supposed to be dedicated to the Lord. And so they circumcise them, taking the part of their body that leads to future generations mm-hmm. and saying this multi-generational covenant, here you go, we, we belong to you, right? So yeah, there's, there's a battle of the firstborns going on. What you're seeing here is a theme develop where, um, you know, God is actually the true father of every family and he gets to decide what happens. And if you get to keep your family, it's only by the sheer grace of God. And so Zipporah is like, 
I, you know, you get my firstborn. This actually, this kind of text in the Torah is the reason that we named our first son Elijah, because it means God is great. And we were like, you get the firstborn. And it happened that he yeah, was a boy. So we were like, yeah, firstborn son. Look yeah, at that. You know? Wonderful. So it, it's, it's that kind of thing. There's a much larger theme going on here in the battle for the firstborns, right? Um, interestingly, how this has played out over time, I'm, I'm way off on a rabbit trail here. Um, the way this has played out over time is that a lot of cults see Satan as Jesus' brother, right? Right. They reinstitute the battle of the firstborn because in reality, what Satan is doing when he says, I will make myself like the most high is he's trying to usurp Christ. He's trying to take the blessing of the firstborn, which is the authority of the kingdom. And he can't do it. So that goes right back to Cain and Abel. It goes back to, I mean, before that with the satanic fall, this is a small, small development in a very large theme in the Bible. Do you see a glimpse of that with Isaac, uh, Isaac and Esau? Oh yeah. Yeah. Okay. Big time. Yeah. And you know, the, you mean Jacob and Esau Jacob. or it's Isaac and Ishmael or what? No, Esau takes the, the, or Esau gives up his birthright. Yeah. yeah right to Jacob. <laughs> so the, well, yeah. Cause J- first Jacob, born. Jacob tricked him. Right. Right. He tricked Isaac. I thought it was a very entrepreneurial. It was, <laughs> <laughs> if, he's Shark get rid of it that, it. if he gets rid of it that easily something that should have meant the world to yeah. Esau you know it was it was everything you got two things going on there you got you got opportunism on Jacob's part and you just got sheer stupidity yes on uh yeah. on Esau's part yeah. right and so it's like you know you gave it up for a bowl of soup yeah yeah a bowl my, my uh, new American standard bible actually calls it stuff he says give me a bowl of that red stuff there and so he gave up his birthright for stuff stuff yeah imagine that yeah yeah and so you know when in fact jesus is maybe the only firstborn that i could think of inheriting the blessing um was it reuben that was the firstborn of the uh, the 12 sons of israel he didn't get the blessing it wound up all the way down at judah mm-hmm. you know the messiah came from him david was the last mm-hmm. of the brothers he wasn't mm-hmm. the firstborn by any means um you know jesus was the firstborn because he had to be born of a virgin so that would kind of messed up that prophecy but you know and he's the firstborn among many brothers. Other than that, pretty much every time in the Bible, it's it's the little and the despised one in the birth order that's getting the blessing. Yeah. 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 So this is this is the firstborn they're talking about. At a lodging place, on the way, the Lord met him and sought to put him to death. Mm-hmm. Wow. It's just worded terribly. Yeah. And you know what? Maybe there's ambiguity in the Hebrew, too. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's probably where it stems from. It just didn't translate very well. Could be. Okay, I am tapped out. Me too, man. Yeah, I got My voice is exhausted. Yeah. And, you know, I'm, I'm going to be honest. I'm going to be overwhelmed with, um, you know, just like the sheer force of masculinity if I spend any more time staring at the mustache yeah, across well, the table it has from that me. effect. I better wrap this I thing know. up. So. I better trim it. Yeah, man. The world is a messed up place. Chris, can I get an amen? Amen. We got a gospel that is perfectly suited to fix it. Amen? Amen. See you next time, brother. Hungry for Wisdom is a ministry of Grace and Truth Community in West Richland, Washington. You can find out more about us on our app, social media, or at graceandtruthcommunity.com. We love Him because He first loved us.